I'm Mitch Owens, AD Decorative Arts Editor, and welcome to the AD Aesthete. Legacy firms are all the rage, businesses that have roots in the past and their minds on tomorrow. But so many legacy firms are run by corporate types keeping a name alive rather than building on and finding inspiration in a family tradition. Today, I'm joined in the studio by three young powerhouses who may not have wanted to take the reins of design companies started by their ancestors, but who have done so with aplomb. Eliza Crater of Sister Parish Designs, Valentin Gux of Rank, and Freddie Victoria of Victoria and Son. They'll talk about their history, their challenges, and why they didn't go into banking. I hope you enjoy the show. For listeners who don't know about the three firms, I'd love it if you could just give us a snapshot of what the firm is, when it was founded, and what it is now. I'm going to start with Freddie. So the company started as Frederick P. Victoria and & Son, and uh, now we usually go by Victoria & Son, just because domain names are <laughs> better shorter. We were founded in 1933 by my grandfather and uh, here in New York City. Uh, we specialize in antiques, and we sort of quickly develop a specialty for uh, making uh, furniture as well, uh, you know, hand-in-hand hand with the antiques. And it just kept growing from there. Uh, now we more specialize in creating custom and uh, sort of line pieces of furniture, our, our own designs as well as custom commissions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eliza? Um, so my mother, Susan Crater, started uh, the fabric and wallpaper company, Sister Parish Design, in 2000 after writing a biography on my great-grandmother called Sister. It was about my great-grandmother's sister and her partner, Albert Hadley, and their business called Parish Hadley. And essentially, my mother resurrected this collection of fabrics and wallpapers that Parish Hadley created for their clients. And so she brought them to the marketplace. And now um, I'm working with her, and I've worked with her for two years. And you're the creative director? I yes. am the creative director, yes. Okay. And Valentin? Uh, so Rink uh, is a French uh, company created in 1841 in Alsace, northeast of France. Uh, we moved to Paris in 1871 and been there since. Rink is what we call an ensemble decorateur. Uh, so to, for example, to illustrate with m like more famous brands, uh, it's a bit like Maison Janssen, for example, used to be in the 60s, meaning we have both creation and fabrication facilities. So today our three main activities are one interior design studio in Paris, very specialized in French styles from 18th century to Art Deco, or modernized versions of it, and two uh, workshops, one in the south of France doing uh, millwork and paneling, and one in, in the north of France doing cabinet making. Now, we're, we're talking about three firms that have an enormous amount of history, as, as heritage brands should. but at some point you as a younger generation involved in these firms presumably it wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do um, to start out with I mean I know I didn't want to be a marine um, <laughs> which my father was but Freddie what what were you doing before Victoria before you got sucked into Victoria and son oh wow um, I was doing something completely different I was uh, working on Wall Street on a, I was working for a sell-side research firm doing macroeconomic research and um, my father sort of, you know, he had, we had, so for, from about 1941 to 1999, we were based on 55th Street and we had a building there with, um, we had showroom, a showroom, two showroom floors uh, and 
upholstery, finishing, fabrication, it was all there. And he sold that building and, and set up a, a retail store in Bridgehampton. And I think he was sort of playing with the idea of retiring. So he sort of gave me the the line, you know, do you do you want to try this out or or not? Because if you don't, then I'm going to start wrapping things up. What was your thought process around that? Because you're doing something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly the thing that you've not wanted to get involved with is now being handed to you if you want it. Oh, yeah, no, he was laying it right out there for me. Um, you know, the thing is, I knew I didn't want to stay in finance forever. It was uh, it was not my cup of tea. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, and I had a great experience doing it. But I knew I really enjoyed being part of the business, uh, you know, spending summers in the shop up on the woodworking floor with the guys working there. It was, I mean, I love that. The kicker was that he said, all right, well, since you have zero background, formal background <laughs> in antiques and decorative <laughs> arts, you should go to uh, London and, and do a crash course at Christie's. And so that's that's what I did. I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up around the stuff, but I never had a formal education. Right. So what was the Christie's? They had a, um, a decorative arts program in London there mm-hmm. that I did for a year. And Eliza? So, Freddie, you're like my mother. My mother was a criminal defense lawyer oh, wow. before starting <laughs> before starting our fabric and wallpaper business. But I actually always knew that I wanted to be part of the business. So, as soon as as soon as I graduated from university, I worked for a set designer called Aaron Swift in New York for about a year, and then I went to go work for a designer called Markham Roberts yes. for over five years. And Markham actually trained under Mark Hampton, who worked for Parrish Hadley. And so that was an excellent education. Um, and I kind of... So you had a through line. Yes. And it, I mean, I kind of feel like my great-grandmother almost had kind of a part in my training because, you know, Mark Hampton worked at Parrish Hadley for a little while. So I felt very prepared mm-hmm. to start at Sister Parish. So, so going into that field, going into that world was just already baked. Yes, it really was, yes. Valentine, you were in media and fashion and communication and all sorts of yeah, other I already, things. Yeah, I already had two careers before doing that. Uh, if you had told <laughs> me 10 years ago I would, be, I would be working in the family company and needing it, I would have loved, really. My, actually, I studied uh, history and went into uh, political journalism. So I was a specialist of French and South American socialism for a few years in France, mm. uh, so it, which is very different from what I'm doing now. <laughs> then after four years, I just, uh, I, was, I was really bummed by the mediocrity of uh, all the politics I was meeting, so I just totally left this, uh, this industry and moved to London with my wife when uh, I started a fashion business, which mm. specialized in uh, menswear. We wanted to do something with uh, actually craft and, uh, and with aesthetics, so I was getting closer, I guess, in a way. And uh, during my London years, my father asked me to help him a little bit on uh, the communication and branding of the of the company because he was not uh, at ease maybe with you know uh, newsletters, communication, mm-hmm. Instagram, all that uh, internet thing which uh, which were new for him and uh, the other his colleagues in the company um, because they were really a word of mouth kind of company, uh, low profile, you know uh, that kind of stuff. So I had them for a little bit, then started to help them as well with business developments. And, uh, well, you got me. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I found out that actually not only it was in my DNA in many ways, but uh, also that it was much more appealing to me than fashion. And fashion was starting to accelerate in a way that I kind of hated. You know, uh, new collection all, all of the time. Mm-hmm. With e-commerce, it, it became yeah. really crazy. Uh, and for, like, 
you know, uh, ecological reasons as well. I, I was thinking that's not sustainable at all. So uh, when I moved back to France, I accepted to take over the group uh, one year ago. And now you're bringing it to attention in London and New York, and the profile of Rink has risen quite a bit very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, what we are doing now is uh, is kind of uh, is kind of having uh, an interesting appeal. We we are always walking a bit everywhere. We started to export in America in 1937, um, but as I said, it was really a word of mouth kind of kind of company. Uh, they were like, you know what, our client will find us. They know, mm-hmm. and when I joined the company, I was like, no, uh, they don't know anymore. Like the kind of clients you're talking about, the you know, maybe old money clients who used to have what we used to call maybe the humanities education, mm. very classical Western education. They Z- don't exist They don't anymore. exist anymore. Yeah, right. We used to have clients who would be able, you know, to, to, to tell the difference between a Louis XV and a Louis XVI leg very easily on a chair. This doesn't e- exist at all. Our new clients maybe uh, come from the tech industry, so they don't have at all a classical education, they are more of a scientific education, or from other cultures. Mm. Right? So, uh, we had to change the way we were thinking of ourselves, explaining, and being much more educational as well. Have, have, have you all been doing the same thing in terms of you know, elevating the profile of the company through current media? Yes. I think, it's, I think a big piece of it is how to tell your story and how to explain the history of your brand in kind of an exciting way and in an engaging way and how to use platforms like Instagram and email marketing and your website in order to engage customers. I think that's one of our biggest challenges. Well, we have good materials for that. Yes. We, are, we are lucky when we yeah. have these yes. heritage brands. Yes. No, I think I think what I mean by that is um, like how to make your story come alive, how best to do that. I mean, I think one of the nice things about the Sister Parish Design website is no matter what pattern of fabric or wallpaper you click on, there's a little history. It may be very short, but there's a little history of how it came into the line who invented it, who, who designed it, where it was used in a, 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 a famous way, but without having to show where it was used. So you don't, That's great. you're not dragged down by the historical, like a black yes. and white photograph. Yes. You just see a colorful fabric and you know that it was used in such and such a year or Albert Hadley designed right, it. Right, right, yes. There's a fabric we have called Sintra, which was um, a tree of life design that Albert Hadley and sister found on a piece of cruel work and then um, made it into a textile, a hand screen textile, mm. that they then um, used as curtains in Brooke Astor's quote unquote money room. Right. And so that story <laughs> about the, the m- right. And so the story <laughs> about the money room, I just posted that on Instagram, and I had so many questions about it. So that makes me really excited. It's a good name for a room. Yeah, it is a good name <laughs> yeah. for a room. Yeah, if, if you have money, and, yeah, and exactly. You can, write, you can write checks as yeah. opposed to receiving Dunning notices. Right. When we. Um, <laughs> Now, yours is the same way. Uh, Victoria and Son's website is, is, is very lively, but also very history-driven. Well, yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. We try, I mean, that's definitely been one of the, I agree with Valentin that, you know, a lot of our clients are sort of word of mouth. And, you know, the, you know we can't really get into the, uh, you know, paid, uh, you know, the cost of acquisition for clients if you were to try and do boosted social media or paid social media. It, it doesn't really work for us because our clientele has a very specific, uh, uh, taste mm-hmm. and but just having the information out there in a format that is c- 
clean and easy to appreciate where, you know, because now people don't go shopping anymore. People don't go, uh, you know, it used to be that clients would come into our store on 55th Street and we would show them what we were working on or we would show them what we have. We would show them models. Now it all has to be done on the website. So you have to have... Because um, now you're out on Long Island City. We're in Long Island City. I mean, and it's just an uh, office and uh, a small warehouse where we do final assembly. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very... I mean, our, our shop is up in New England. So um, mm. you don't really have... Because of the way people have changed how they shop, you know, the website is just so much more important. I mean, I, re- I remember when I first started working with my father in the mid-2000s, a, a designer came out to visit uh, the Bridgehampton store, Chez Soi, and he had no idea of all the stuff we made, zero clue. And and he, my father took him to a warehouse where we had, it was a large warehouse with all of our models and parts and you know unrecarved, unfinished parts. And he was blown away. And he's like, well, how, my father asked the gentleman, you know, you don't know that we make all these? He's like, no, I had no idea. He's like, well, all our clients are X, Y, and Z. He's like, well, all your clients are dead, which Ooh. is a little, uh, yeah. <laughs> little uncouth, but you know, it was, the but point, at the end of the day, yes, yeah, you're that absolutely was, right. How long can we live on those laurels? Exactly. So we that was a clear sign to us that we had to uh, reach out and, and sort of recommunicate our story and, and, and educate people what we're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And that's really been our theme throughout our company's life is that we are able to sort of take a vision and and be able to create something, whether it's a period piece or whether mm-hmm. it's a totally new creation. I mean, I loved, Eliza, you were, what you said earlier about telling a story. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that a lot of, one of the challenges within a, a heritage brand is like, you know, a remake of a Jane Austen novel. Mm-hmm. Nobody remembers what it was 10 years ago, but then suddenly it's remade and everybody's all excited about it and they've never heard of this before. <laughs> right. And they don't remember it was ever filmed. <laughs> right. You know, so then, I mean, I think that must be uh, also a, a challenge, but also in some ways, wait, our firms have been around how long and you still don't yeah. know what we do outside of a certain world? Yeah. Yeah, but we have to say it well also. But we are lucky because so many of new, like new companies, they are, they are trying to invent themselves a story. Mm-hmm. We have so much history to, to right, dig in. Right, you already in. have a story. That's, that's absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. We are, right. we are very lucky in that sense. But then we have to, to, to say the story correctly because it's so rich, you can really lose yourself in the details. Yeah, totally. When you're going through like more than a century, or it, it, it can be really crazy, it can, it can go in so many directions. Mm. So you want to have a, an elev- elevator pitch in a way, I think. Wait, wait, elevator pitch is exactly right. I, I, when you, Mitch, when you first mentioned this podcast to me, I started thinking, well, how have we, how have we rebranded the company and how have we, changed, how have we decided to make it more relevant? Mm. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that we haven't rebranded the company. Everything we are doing now, we've always done. It's just, it was actually more of a personal thing for me. I had to figure out what our company is about. What, mm. are, what, is the, what is the DNA of our company? You know, it used to be when I first started working with my father, my friends would be like, oh, so you're working in antiques now. I'm like, well, we also make furniture and we also have our own design. So it wasn't very clear. Mm. And, and just being able to figure out what that what it is that we're about and, and express that to clients and prospective clients concisely is, is vitally important. What is the what is the Victoria and Sun DNA? It's it's being able to see the potential in something and or to adapt a, a piece of furniture and to to create something new and 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 beautiful out of it. Mm-hmm. It's being able to to help a client realize their vision of what uh, they want to achieve. 
is is the history always a springboard for creativity for all of you or is it ever an albatross yes no no we're not going to go back to this again no my great-grandmother said that innovation is the ability to reach into the past and bring back what is good what is beautiful and what is lasting and i think when i struggle as a creative um you know i obviously want to make my mark in the industry but i also want to honor and respect my great-grandmother you know you're you're acknowledging this past, acknowledging this history, looking back into the past, the way your grandmother, your great grandmother, her philosophy of bringing things forward that were beautiful and new in the past. Mm-hmm. But once you've done that, how do you make it exciting for an audience that may or may not see the romance or the quality or the the style of something that you dig up from a hundred years yeah. ago? Or, 400 years ago. Is that trusting yourself? I mean, I know our new collection um, is, I was just, you know, in the Bahamas over Christmas and fell in love with all of these gardens and beautiful trellis work where I was staying. And so that inspired me to resurrect these specific textiles from Mm -hmm. our collection. One was a chintz that my great grandmother loved. Another was a trellis pattern that Albert designed. And so I don't know if that's when you kind of have to trust your own creative instincts. But then what do you do? The what do you do with that once you bring them out of the archive? Yes. Is 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 the point to bring out a s- successful beautiful thing from the archive mm-hmm. or to bring that archival pattern out and somehow figure out a way to make it relevant in terms of color or or silhouette or anything? I mean, what I think all of our patterns are pretty timeless mm-hmm. and so I don't follow trends as much. I don't know about um yeah both of you? Well, I mean, I feel that being in a heritage company, it's very easy to fall into the trap of tradition. Like, and, and you just have to identify what And reverence. Re- and reverence. You suddenly get trapped in this reverent times mm-hmm. mindset. Right. Yeah. And you, know. you, like, you got to just remember, tradition is not repetition, right? In Saint Pastiche. Right. It's very important. Mm. You have to be able to innovate on the tradition. I sort of consider our tradition to be one of innovation, right? So it's not just... Okay. You know, taking we have a design library of, of all not all but many of the things that we created over the years, mm-hmm. and we don't just remake them. I mean, it's, that's just repetition. But to be able to make them better or to adapt them to something uh, new, mm-hmm. that's sort of where I feel um, where that's how we maintain our relevance. Because otherwise, we are just uh, uh, you know remaking something that we made right. mm-hmm. 50 years ago. Yeah, I think you have to stay truthful to your history, your tradition as a heritage brand. But it doesn't mean that you can keep on evolving. I define myself very much as a classicist, but I believe in, uh, you know, evolution through our own tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, like a ring was started in 1841, so it became when it, when it arrived in Paris in 1871, it was Napoleon III style, which was basically uh, like re-editing uh, 18th century. Right. And then in the 1920s, the fourth generation, Maurice Rank. Uh, you know, he saw Art Deco, he, very, he understood very early why it was important, and then started to do Art Deco, and they became quite big in the Art Deco. But Art Deco was an evolution within that tradition because it was very much the lines of the 18th century, which were straightened or modernized in a mm-hmm. way. I, I, I try to keep the same, same mindset uh, about, about how we evolve, how we innovate, how we keep on, on working this. We just uh, launched a, a new collection, which is very much in this mindset. There are 18th century references because this is where we come from as French designers. There are Deco references as well because it's big for our history at Ring because that's when we became quite a bigger company. 
but then the texture, the finishes, everything is also very contemporary. And I think that's very important. How do you mean contemporary? Uh, what, are, what are some of the, for want of a better word, the modernizations? So, for example, uh, we, oversized, we oversized some patterns. Uh, you know, instead of, uh, uh, of working the fabrics uh, in, in an old way, we really uh, took it and oversized it and played with embossed velvets. Uh, so it's a 19th century technique, but a bit more playfully. Mm -hmm. The base of the, of the table... Uh, they are using some of the curves from actually a table we made in 1937 that you know and that I know, yes. you, and that I know you like. But, <laughs> but, but the material of it is it's a gouged wood, which is, uh, you know, varnished and, and uh, painted in, in a very dark blue. And nobody would have done that at the time. So it's, it's, we keep on evolving on right. that. Yeah. And the same thing at Victoria. You're, I mean, you have a new collection out as, as well. Right. So we, uh, we were part of a large uh, project that took about two years uh, mm. with uh, Gina Bianco. And, and various other craftspeople. And um, the project came to a close, but it was such a stimulating and challenging but uh, rewarding project that we uh, sort of wanted to keep going because at the end of the day, it was fun. And um, what we've done is, with along with Gina and the other craftspeople, we've created a collection of tables that um, are based off of each craftsperson's background, their, their, their strongest techniques, if you will, and then we've adapted them to new designs loosely based on classical uh, inspiration. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's really something that is just fun. <laughs> and we've had such a good time doing it because we've been able to take glass crafts from uh, Venice mm -hmm. and merge them with American steelwork. And it's just, uh, it's been so rewarding and a lot of fun. And we're already planning uh, an, another couple of tables to sort of add into the collection. So, Well, we just launched a tile uh, collection with Country Floors. That was a really fun collaboration, and that's just a, you know, a different medium for our patterns, which really mm -hmm. excited our clients. Um, and then this upcoming fall, we're launching a performance line of textiles. We're actually introducing wovens into our collection, where we will be weaving kind of patterns into the textile, and that's really exciting because there's just so much more technology now in in wovens where you can make them, you know sun resistant and mm. rain resistant and right. they still feel really luxurious and soft so that's a really exciting thing and then another idea we just had was to bring in a um, guest designer who really speaks to the sister parish parish hadley ethos well they'll they'll come in and kind of design a small capsule collection mm. pulling from the archive but you know with their own spin so that's kind of something we're really excited about and we hope to launch in 2021. That's very exciting. Yeah. So it's, it, what's, what's really great to hear is that you, you're, you don't see what you're doing as being custodians. You know, you're not archivists. You're, you're making the archives work, but then you're working outside of them right. as, yeah, absolutely. as well. I mean, yeah. I think that's a really, you know, s s going back to social media. doesn't mean we don't have archivists in our company. That's right. It's true. That's important to have. Yeah, uh, that's the job I want next, is, is to be the archivist at Ring. But, but, but what I find, you know, really incredibly interesting is, you know, social media has this, at least design social media. There's such a, a tunnel vision approach to a firm, to a firm's legacy. It's like they thrill to, let's say, the Victoria and Son, the Etagere that was made sure. for Cole Porter, Duke yeah. and Duchess of Windsor. Oh, right. Or, so or, the, have, yeah. or the Cole Porter bookcases. Yeah. That must be frustrating when that one gets a gazillion likes mm -hmm. and then you've got your new product that comes out and maybe, okay, oh. what happened? <laughs> you know, I mean, because in a weird way, it is, it is the feedback from the people who are already interested in your brand. Right. I mean, but 
look, when, when we release a new product, mm. I, I think it takes a number of years to mm. really have that product gain traction, especially, you know, our, our clientele are professional interior designers and uh, they have to propose it to clients right. and has to get approved. So there's a huge lead time. And so, uh, look, I love it if as soon as we release a product, we got, you know, a dozen orders for it. It just, that just doesn't happen. But even the pieces that we are known for, you know, it really is something that you have to nurture and and maintain their relevance. You know, mm -hmm. you, we can't just keep making uh, the same thing over and over again. Uh, for example, the Cole Porter at Tajer is a you know great example of both you know you know how it was it came about. My grandfather had a a little dumbwaiter, a little uh, whatnot that was on wheels and uh, apparently Billy Baldwin wanted to make a bookcase for Cole Porter and my grandfather decided, you know, proposed adapting this, you know, metal frame, this brass frame to mm. a bookcase, which, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. And now what we what we did about 20 years ago was we made a coffee table version of that with parchment and now we do mm. it with all sorts of other materials including marble and, um, uh, uh, excuse me, stingray. Uh, so it's mm. it's... We also actually have a new sort of gypsum-based material, which is a lot of fun. The, the point is we've taken that design and we've we've maintained its taste, if you will. We didn't let it get stagnant because mm -hmm. the, the, the coffee table, people had sort of forgotten about it. And we actually hadn't made it for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years until in 2000 when we started making the coffee tables. And the light bulb went off and like, oh, well, wait a second. This, this is, um, people are excited about this still. And, and so that was a sort of a wake-up call to us to say our our designs, our, the, the things that we have in our archive is relevant still. We just have to figure out a way to bring it to clients so that they can appreciate it. Right. To, to, to me, actually, the thing you said about being slightly uh, always seen uh, from what you've done in the past is very much uh, true for us in France because we are a heritage French company, uh, well, even labeled by the government, uh, something called Living Heritage Company. So... Uh, every time I explain what we do, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, but we know you do amazing Louis XV panels yeah. and uh, the best so chairs. Living Heritage Company just sounds like it weighs you yeah, down. Yeah, actually. It's like actually, National Treasure in Japan. Yeah. You know, living National it's, Treasure. Yeah, living Sometimes treasure. it's a bit too much. It's very interesting for a lot of reasons, but <coughs> sometimes it's a bit too much. And that, that's actually why I love being in New York, you know, because it's much more of a blank page for me. Um, people don't see me as someone with a white wig, you know, coming around <laughs> and saying <laughs> some nice stuff. <laughs> no, I, I, when I first started working with my my father, I sort of, you know, a lot of people refer to the furniture we make as reproduction furniture, and I, I hated hearing that because it just had a sort of pejorative meaning. And, you know, it wasn't as though we were sitting there churning out just brown furniture, right? The more I thought about it, I'm like, well, wait a second, we, we can make period reproductions, and as far as I'm concerned, I mean, this is subjective, but as far as I'm concerned, the 18th century French furniture is probably some of the best furniture ever created. So if Please. you, <laughs> I know, I'm biased audience here. <laughs> but uh, so if, if you have the skill set to be able to do that, that's a huge yes. uh, ability that, that frankly, not a lot of people have today. Yeah. And, and, and not only actually uh, in, in the craft, but in, in, in the language. Ornamental language is yeah. not, is, is not a, a dead language. It's, I think it's really, a, it, it should be the common tongue of all of, our, all of our trades. And you can keep writing your own story with it today. Right. That's very important. You can, you can, you can work with uh, all these 18th century elements and, mm -hmm. and bring it to something very new. Exactly. Yeah, I know we were, I was talking months ago with um, the uh, architect Peter Penoyer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, he was, we were having this chat and said, 
and it came up suddenly a line, I think it was Peter saying, you know, there is no such thing as, as, as neoclassicism. It, it, it's classicism. Right. It's, exactly. It's, it's exactly. not new. You're not making it new. It's, yeah. and, and it's like it's not a dead language. Mm -hmm. It's just how you treat it. Yes. That's 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 only because you know there was a uh, there was a natural evolution of styles for a very long time. You know, uh, for France it was Louis XIV, Louis XV, right. Louis XVI, Directoire, Empire. Uh, you know, etc. And then Art Nouveau, Art Deco, and then it stopped because of the modernist movement and right. and brutalism and all of this. It was like let's cut. All from the past. My obsession is to, you know, uh, find that link back and keep on evolving as as it was naturally done in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that is classicism. It's still being classic. I mean, if you look at some of the creations, for example, um, uh, David Wiseman does. Mm -hmm. Those are beautiful things. But you you can't you can't help but feel like there's a little bit of a sort of a Louis Fifteenth Rococo sort of mm -hmm. sort of uh, vibrancy in them. Right. And, and they're gorgeous. But mm -hmm. but there is that sort of language that I mean I have no idea what his inspiration was, is I've never met the man but just I see that uh, I, I see a continuity there mm. yeah when you look at some uh, at the importance of uh, some of the Philip Stark creations in the mm. 80s and 90s right. it's very 18th century inspired yeah. uh, it's made with new materials it's made with a new mindset exactly that the, that ghost chair the, the ghost Louis chair for example yeah is it, is it Louis ghost is that what yeah, it's called yeah, yeah. but you look at it and you know that it's it's a classical chair. Absolutely, it's an 18th century chair. It it's is, just it is very transparent. Classical. You know, I mean, that's I mean, stripped down and transparent, and that's sort of and the whole world. You know, that galvanized the whole world when it came out. Yeah. Um, and and it, but yet it came with this history that managed to s not only be subtle but stayed really fresh. Yeah. So we weirdly, it looked brand new. Mm -hmm. Which proves you can respect the past and keep on innovating. I think it's exactly. Right. I mean, the it, point. In a way, it, it, if you aren't informed by the past and you don't have this background, uh, it, it's actually, I think, a handicap to be able to create something that is a little bit outside of the bounds of what people mm -hmm. expect. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, I really think it's in our case. You know, just thinking about our our company before this uh, podcast. You know, I'm thrilled that I have this background uh, provided to me by my father and grandfather in antiques and in um, custom creations, you know, like uh, who would have thought to take draperies and carve them out of wood? You know, like that's something that we did on actually for Parrish Hadley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, so it's just, you know, something that doesn't really uh, maybe fit inside a box normally, but, you know, it's something that we were willing to uh, undertake and, and, mm. and I thought it sort of broke the mold a, bit, a little bit and I remember growing up we had them in our house and I was you know shocked to learn that you don't not everyone has wooden draperies you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> they should yeah, so. right. yeah exactly well what my great-grandmother was really known for too was you know throwing that you know American quilt on top of the piece of 18th century furniture right and right. so that kind of juxtaposition sure. so that was I think we can lay at your grandmother's, your great grandmother's feet, the, the American <laughs> quilt used as a tablecloth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's responsible for quite a few things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's a really interesting legacy. And what I find fascinating about Sister Parish design is, you know, she started out as you know m Mrs. Henry Parish second Actually, interior budget decorating. Budget decorating was her. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that was her first company. And then we went yeah. into the Mrs. Henry Parish. So yeah. Then Sister Parish. Then Parrish Hadley, mm -hmm. then Parrish Hadley vanished, and now it's Sister Parrish Design mm -hmm. again. So it's almost like, in a way, in terms of size, yes. it's like going back to your grandmother's, great-grandmother's earliest yes. moment. Yeah, it really is. Which I mean, is sort of exciting. It is. I mean, it, a struggle for us, though, with 
our name is that half of our collection are prints that Albert Hadley designed himself. Mm -hmm. So half of the half of the collection are prints that Albert Hadley designed, and the other half are textiles that my great grandmother just adored and collected and loved. So how to tell that story? And so that's right. a challenge for us. To bring in all the names. To bring in all the names and make sure that we're giving you know credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. To have that sort of archival data like so you don't yes I mean a lot of our prints are very modern and very bold and very geometric and that was all Albert mm. so you know t I mean to but me it's, it's not like he important. signed one so you don't it's hard to no, credit he, oh no he did I mean I know I mean the, these are his designs oh, yes it's so, just the idea of under that sister parish design yes, umbrella, umbrella how do you tell gotcha, the story yeah. of yes. everybody else yeah. Yeah. yes I, I had a bit of the same uh, the same problem when I joined the company and I really started to work on the brand strategy the biggest name uh, leading rink in the 30s was Maurice Rink. He was the first generation. He led the company from maybe 31 to the 70s. So, of course, he had a big print. Then there was his son, and his father, and grandfather. Well, they were all the family. But at auctions or, you know, on first dibs, on many different, uh, many different vendors, every piece by rink was named something differently. Sometimes mm -hmm. it was rink, sometimes it was mm -hmm. rink meuble, rink furniture, sometimes it was Maurice rink. It was all, and it was very confusing for a lot of clients. Sometimes they were thinking it was not the same company. Okay. Sometimes they were thinking we actually didn't exist in 50 years, even some of the antique dealers. Mm -hmm. So I actually reached to many, many, many people and I tell them, just use Rink, please. It's very important. Uh, the company has always been mm -hmm. only Rink. It's not Maurice, it's not uh, it's Saint Gérard. Well, it's, it's, not it's, it's like the, the nomenclature for Janssen. Yeah. Is it Janssen? Is it Chez Janssen? Is it Maison Maison Janssen, Janssen? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, they were using Maison Rink as well. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we don't use that. It's, it's important. Now, your, your, Valentin, your, your family came across Rink when it was on its, figuratively, its last legs. Yeah, in yeah. In some way. It's like, what, what yeah, my family added caused you to by that firm. My, my family had its own company and in, in the same industry and um, ba basically my father as a younger uh, younger professional in our, in our industry had, uh, had seen all of the great names of French design dying one after the other. Last one was Maison Janssen uh, who survived a few years but then disappeared. Thank you to the Shah of Iran. <laughs> Thank you to the show of Iran. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think we were part of this uh, of this project as well, as, <laughs> as as actually everybody was in Paris. That's a, a bit of another subject. But yes. there were fifteen thousand company in the decorative arts in between Bastille and Montreuil in all the Faubourg Saint Antoine mm -hmm. uh, in the seventies. After that project, because they were all working with each other, it was like a domino effect. Uh, in, within twenty years, there were maybe ten companies. Wow. No, everybody disappeared. Mm. It was really, really terrible. So my father had seen all of that story ha happening, and he, he would have loved to buy actually Janssen, you know, and, and, and maintain it, but it was not possible because he was much younger at that time. Mm -hmm. When he saw that rink, so the last rink, uh, Gérard died in 92, and um, then the company collapsed uh, a few times. It was, you know, uh, administrated by people who were not for the tr from the trade, who didn't really understand it. And so in 2002, he uh, managed to actually merge his company and Rink and uh, started to uh, rebuild the brand mm -hmm. as it used to be. Uh, his banker told him it was a very, very bad idea. <laughs> he, proved him, he proved him wrong mm -hmm. in actually a few years. That's a bit the story of, uh, of how it happened. Mm. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges, it sounds, you know, be, being able to identify that tradition and, and sort of, and bring it back from the uh, the 
the brink, so to speak. It's it's sort of tough, especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know, people who have been working with the firm for years and years and years. And they, you know, I think that's where you sort of fall into a trap of tradition, right? Where mm-hmm. you have to know what is people just repeating and and doing because that's the way things have been done. Right. And and how do you how do you change that? So my father was a little bit afraid of putting. Our pieces online. To his credit, he he has uh, he has made remarkable progress. But when we first started working together, he didn't want to put any of our designs online because he was worried about being knocked off. Right. And yeah, and there was a huge level of paranoia in that generation of of people in the trade from the say later half of the 20th mm-hmm. century, I think. And eventually we got past that but that was that was a big step being able to have good photographs online because you know at first he was like well okay but just use this low res image online i'm like well that's you know that's not really going to do much <laughs> so they can't see any detail exactly no exactly <laughs> you, you joke but that was like at one point that's what we were doing and fortunately uh we've come around mm. so i mean that that's just one example of some of the challenges of working with with family and right. with uh, with uh, heritage brands, but I think that's uh, you know one of the exciting things about about heritage brands. Uh, uh, there's a is is to be able to to deliver the goods in a way that speaks to a lot of younger people who don't know about heritage brands, don't know why they're important, mm-hmm. thinks that anything that just happens to have a name that's been there for seventy years, it's still a heritage brand, even though it's gone through like ten holding companies and. You know, the people who are associated with it have absolutely zero to do with how it started. Mm-hmm. I think we're in a really good spot right now. I mean, if you think, if you ask me, I think heritage brands or or like people associated with this maker movement, mm-hmm. I think they are actually in a very good position mm-hmm. because I think, you know, the Internet has been fantastic, but it's actually made things very homogenous, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a real desire for people within a certain clientele for people for companies who are who are one-offs who, who make something special who make something a I little know. different like now maybe if you have a bad website people want it more because they're like well, <laughs> they're <laughs> you have to have a good website you have to have a good and, and, I, and i think it's also true for for employees in many ways some of my most motivated employees today are people who left their daily uh, bullshit jobs in, uh, right. in meaningless offices when they were in their 30s and decided to do something with their hands again Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that there's a there's a little bit of a pushback to, you know, having everything uh, be something got purchased through Wayfair or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. these sort of I mean, obviously, I don't I, I, I don't imagine many of our clients shop on Wayfair. But um, the point is something that is widely available is less desirable to our clientele, I believe. Right. And so when you have the 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 historical background in a piece by Rink or by mm-hmm. by Sister Parish mm-hmm. Design or by Victorian Son, I mm-hmm. think that's a real, I, I think it's taking the place of provenance, right? I mean, it's, it's yes, it becomes right. a provenance. It, exactly, the, 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 very, the, the very fact that it's a heritage brand is is the reason to right. pay attention to it. I, I mean, um, I think, I know for, for a while, I, and I still am obsessed with uh, the videos that the Scandinavian firm Fritz Hansen mm-hmm. does where you can watch them there were these beautiful, like black and white documentaries, or sort of cinema verite things of craftsmen in big warehouses, one at a time, 
showing how they bend plywood right. to make this amazing 1950s design yeah. chair. And then it goes to the next craftsman who then puts the metal legs on it. Right. And it's this whole process so that at the end of the process, you not only understand how why it's made and how it's made, but you're willing to spend any amount of money to own it <laughs> because you understand yeah. how but it got there. You know, I, I made a video just like that. It's a five minutes long to explain the process behind our new collection. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the some of the older people in, in the company, they were like, but why are you showing this? It's dusty. People don't want to right. do it, to, to see it. You know, our clients, they want everything clean. They just want the final project. And I'm like, no. No, this is a new generation. You're not understanding this properly. Well, that's what's replaced coming to the showroom, right? That's what's replaced coming and and Absolutely. and sitting in a sofa, which you should always do, by the way. But I mean, being able to have that sort of depth to your story or to create that experience of behind the scenes at Rink is is invaluable, and that's what uh, we need to do in order to communicate uh, why it is what we do is special, right? I mean, without that, it's it's just uh, uh, the final product. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right, because you were saying, you know, like you were saying before, it was special because it was word of mouth. People knew that so-and-so had purchased it. It was it was fashionable, it was chic, and right. very few, and the, the audience was really narrow. But to be able to show how things are made, to show how they're designed, to have a video that has you flipping through the archives, right. um, that sort of thing to show that sense of life. Yeah. And it explains the prices because what we do is not cheap. Yeah. And right. a lot of our clients nowadays, they are, they are money smart. They made the money themselves, they worked hard, and they want to understand why they're paying something that expensively. So we need to show how many hours were, were put in a mm -hmm. creation. Right. Especially if it's something new, right? I mean, I think that gets lost on a lot of people that, um, especially today when people are used to shopping online and they see exactly what they're getting. But when you create something new, totally custom, there is so many unknowns that go into the fabrication process mm -hmm. that you you can't fully know when you set out to make something. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can you can come up with a time sheet, you can come up with a material sheet, but at the end of the day, it's a really a, a best guess. So there's, there's that sort of uh, factor of not uh, being able to fully communicate that and, and, and so you have this process of discovery, really, right? Where it's you're right. It's not it's not cheap what we do. It, it, there is a lot of um, creation that happens, and and that's not always neat and easy. Isn't that why the relationship with the designer is so important? Oh, without a doubt. So that you can make sure you guys are communicating yeah. correctly and you're on the same page. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, we have to. You have to communicate with the designer uh, mm -hmm. very clearly. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why those re that relationship building is so important. Still, I and mean, that designer has to be talented enough to be able to right. tell your story to their client. Oh, without right. a doubt. Right, in order to sell it. Right. Yeah. But also to you know to to sell it and to to make sure that the client is comfortable with what's happening. Like if all of a sudden we're making something and it was supposed to be a ten week lead time and like oh well you know what uh, this X Y and Z has happened we have to replate this piece of bronze or whatever or right. piece of brass um, it's going to be another two weeks to be able to explain that and if you tell the story right I think they understand I mean th th these clients are able to do to wait that time for you know a, a Birkin bag exactly. at, at Hermes right. so, exactly. so they should be able to wait that time for our products right. as well you're right absolutely <laughs> Eliza mm. Freddie 
Valentin, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. Pleasure. And for yes. filling us in on why heritage brands are looking into the future. Thank, thank you. you for thank having you us. Much. Thank you very much. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wartsman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com.